0: Amotilek Haaretz We give thanks to God for bread Our voices rise in song together As our joyful prayer is said Baruch Eloheinu Melech Amotzi lekemin haaretz. Amen Blessed art thou Lord our God King of the universe who brings forth bread from out of the earth Amen Barukata Adonai Eloheinu Melech Haolam bore pre haGafen, Amen Blessed art thou Lord our God King of the universe who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. I
1: need the hand of your robe. I need the hand of your robe. So as you walk by, Lord, hang your robe down low. Hang your robe down low, my. Son of David, hear my cry Son of David, hear my cry I cannot be silent My Savior's walking by Son of David, hear my cry. Son of David, hear my cry. I cannot be silent. My Savior's walking by. So.
0: you're
2: Hello, everyone. I'm Monty Judah with Lion of Lamb Ministries. Welcome to our Arab Shabbat broadcast for B'nai Shalom. Uh, this Sabbath is the Sabbath uh, that the Torah portion is Vayigash, and we are in the latter chapters of Genesis. We are at the part of the story in Genesis where uh, in the previous week, um, the brothers had come to Egypt to buy grain again. They had been required by Joseph to bring their younger brother Benjamin. He had come. They were entreated very kindly by Joseph, whom they don't know as Joseph, and they were loading up and very happy to go back, when suddenly uh, there's an accusation that some of them have stolen from Joseph his cup, or a piece of his cup, and it was a very special cup that only Joseph had, and there was a big deal about this cup. Well, the in the search that followed, of course the bold statement was made by Judah, who was the leader of the band, that uh, if anybody has done such a thing, may they be enslaved for the rest of their life and all that. Well, they go through all the bags, and they come down to Benjamin last, and sure enough, this cup is in Benjamin's bag. And of course, Benjamin is going, I, I didn't put it there. You know? And the other brothers said, well, <laughs> oh my gosh, this, this thing has, has happened. And they're hauled back to have to stand in front of Joseph, whereas before they had been very happy in Joseph's presence. They had a nice meal with him and so forth. Now they're under condemnation by Joseph. And there's great concern about what's about to happen. And it appears that Benjamin is not ever going to be permitted to go home. He's going to become entrapped in Egypt and probably imprisoned or suffer worse. Now, Judah had promised their father, Jacob, that he would be a surety for Benjamin. He would guarantee that Benjamin would would be brought back. And at this moment, Judah asked to speak to Joseph uh, uh, to give explanation. And in chapter 44, he gives this very impassioned speech to Joseph, basically not making the argument for himself or for Benjamin or the other brothers, but he makes the argument for his father, Jacob. And he basically kind of tells the story of their family, of the brothers, about how they did have another brother, they're referring to Joseph, and about how he was gone and that Jacob had accepted the fact that he had died at the hands of a wild beast and there was no sense go looking for him and so forth. And that immediately gave an answer to Joseph as to what, what did my father do and what, what were they saying about this whole thing when I got sold into Egypt? He learns what happened there. But he listens to Judah plead the case for his father, saying that the first time he lost a son, it almost killed him. If he loses Benjamin, it will surely bring him to the grave. Now, one of the things that... Um, is going through Joseph's mind about all of this that's taking place is, one, God gave him some dreams earlier in his life that told him that there was a day coming when his brothers would bow down to him, all of them. And that's what prompted him to insist that Benjamin had to come back the second time. He had this dream that told him that's what was going to be happening. and. The, the second thing was that um, he saw the, how his brothers had viciously mistreated him. Simeon had called for his death. Uh, Judith had said, let's sell him. Reuben had, had offered, well, I'll deliver him a little bit later on, but he wouldn't stand up to his brothers and, and things happened before Reuben could do anything. So there's this chaos amongst all of his brothers, not one of them is willing to love their fellow brethren and try to actually do good. And there is none that are willing to help Joseph in this situation. So he is measuring out, can these brothers stand up for anybody? Can they stand up for a fellow brother? And this is where Judah steps in, and he explains how he is trying to protect his father from the harm of losing Benjamin, and that he is a surety for Benjamin that he will lay down his life, he'll offer himself as a substitute for Benjamin so that Benjamin can go home. And at this point, Joseph sees that all the issues that had been in the past, the foretelling of the dream, the way his brothers had acted, concern for his father, all of those kinds of things, he now understood all of the dynamic that was taking place. and he was truly moved that he saw that the brothers had changed, In particularly that Judah, the leader of them, had changed. And instead of just walking away and ignoring the loss of another brother, by the way, another brother that had the same mother as Joseph, instead of walking away from him, they were willing to lay down their lives to protect him obviously their hearts had changed. Something was dramatically different in how they viewed things. And I think part of it had to do with, I don't think the brothers uh, understood the harm that was going to be done to their father uh, when they went back and said that Joseph wasn't anymore. I think they their envy against Joseph and so forth and the fact that they disliked the situation, let's get rid of this dreamer of dreams fella. Uh, That's as far as they could think. But they couldn't understand the additional harm they were going to do that would come back on their father. And as the Scripture says to us, Jacob almost died in despair upon hearing the loss of Joseph. They saw the damage they did to him. And I think they were truly sorry for that. And so, that's what sets the stage for Judah to make this impassioned speech. Well, as the Torah portion goes on, um, there is this scene in which that uh, all the other servants are told to get out of the room, and Joseph weeps. He weeps profusely, so loud that the other servants another part of the house can hear Joseph crying out and weeping. Because at this point for Joseph, this whole tragedy that has taken place with him and his family and his brothers and so forth, it is going to come to a conclusion. There's going to be reconciliation. All the harm that have been done, it's done. It's coming to a conclusion, and there's going to be restoration. That will take place. And that's what sets the stage for then Joseph to suddenly shockingly say to the brothers, I am Joseph, your brother. And they're like, what? And they're almost like speechless. And suddenly the reunion comes together, and now it's a real reunion in which they're asking about their father, and they're recounting what has taken place since then, and so forth. And the stage is now set. Yes, they're going to make another journey back to their father, but they're making a journey back with stuff that came from Joseph that says, Jacob, load up your, all your possessions. Come to Egypt. Uh, the Lord has prepared a place for you in this great famine, and I will take care of you. And so that's what our Torah portion is about. So the half Torah portion, interestingly enough, Is going to give us an equally dramatic reunification of the brothers that takes place associated with Joseph. And so our our Hafto portion comes from Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel chapter 37, beginning at verse 15. Let me read a few verses for you. It says, The word of the Lord again came to me, saying, And you, son of man, take for yourself one stick and write on it for Judah and for the sons of Israel, his companions. Then take another stick and write on it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and all of the house of Israel, his companions. Then join them for yourself one to another in one stick that they may become one in your hand. And when the sons of your people speak to you, saying, will you not declare to us what you mean by these? Say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel, his companions, and I will put them with it, with the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, and they will become one in my hand. And the sticks on which you write will be in your hand before your eyes. And say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will take the sons of Israel from among the nations where they have gone, and I will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land, and I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel, and one king will be king over all of them. They will no longer be two nations, they will no longer be divided into two kingdoms, and they will no longer defile themselves with their idols and with their detestable things or with any of the transgressions. But I will deliver them from all their dwelling places in which they have sinned, and will cleanse them, and they will be my people, and I will be their God. And my servant David will be king over them, and they will all have one shepherd, and they will walk in my ordinances and keep statutes and observe them. And they shall live on the land which I gave to Jacob my servant, in which your fathers lived, and they will live on it, and they and their sons and their sons' sons forever, and David my servant will be their prince forever, and I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it will be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will place them and multiply them and set my sanctuary in the midst of them forever. My dwelling place also will be with them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people, and the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctified Israel, when my sanctuary is in their midst." This passage of Scripture is describing a huge millennial conflict that has been within Israel. Like the brothers who couldn't get along with one another and hated Joseph and sold him into slavery, cast him off to other nations, the same thing has happened on, a, on shall we say, a corporate level for the whole nation of Israel. The northern tribes, led by Jeroboam, split off from the, the land of Judah and the house of Judah. And then, because of captivity, northern Israel, the house of Israel, was sent into captivity. And we have the house of Judah. And certain judgments fell upon uh, the house of Israel, one of which was they lost their identity. They didn't know who they really were. And the, the prophet Hosea specifically referred to them as Lo-Ami, not my people. They became so assimilated that they didn't really realize who they were, and for all intents and purposes they weren't there anymore. They weren't part of Israel anymore. Well, the same thing happened to Joseph. When Joseph went down into Egypt, he effectively became an Egyptian. In fact, he rose to power as an Egyptian leader. And he married an Egyptian wife. And he had sons. He had children. His family was regarded as an Egyptian family. They, he looked like an Egyptian. He talked like an Egyptian. When the brothers showed up to buy grain, and they see their brother in front of them, The last thing in their thinking is, that guy is one of our brothers. Now Joseph knew who he was. He knew where he came from, but do you see the split? There is this dynamic where there's one group that knows who they are and this other group that doesn't think they know who they are, and specifically the house of Israel doesn't know who they really are, and the house of Judah is just fine with them being gone just fine with it. And for many years we read in biblical history all the way through the days of of Yeshua that oh yeah we know there's that group you know the house of Israel they left Assyrian captivity blah blah blah. Uh, They're not really part of us. Uh, If some of them come back well they'll join us and they'll be part of us. And uh, they went into Babylon, Judah went into Babylon captivity, came back, We had the Messiah come, and then we developed rabbinical Judaism. Judah then got sent into captivity through the Romans, and we still have this division even now that both groups are um, in captivity, scattered throughout the world, and they're not not together. Just like the brothers came down on Egypt and all of a sudden found themselves in the same trouble, they ended up going into prison for a little bit, You know, the house of Judah's gone out in the nations. It didn't work out good for them either. But we have this huge division within what the Bible calls Israel. But this prophecy says something interesting is going to happen. It's based on in the days when Judah is back in the land. And by the way, Ezekiel was a priest and a prophet who was in Babylon when this took place. And he saw a day when Judah would go back to the land. In fact, Daniel spoke of it, we, history, we know why. Jeremiah spoke, they'd only be there for 70 years, and sure enough, those prophecies were true. Judah did go back to the land. And so Ezekiel said, there's going to be a day when Judah is in the land. Now he didn't prophesy about the worldwide captivity, other prophets prophesied of that. But in this generation, specifically uh, in 1948 and 1949, we have seen the house of Judah, the Jewish people, scattered in the nations from the Romans. They have come back to the land, and we have a, a modern state of Israel. This prophecy is based on that Judah has to be in the land. Now, we had it for a while after the Babylonian captivity. We definitely have it now. Was this prophecy fulfilled shortly after the Babylonian captivity, like some would like to suggest in the Messianic movement? No, absolutely not. And some feign argument about some of those elements came back and joined Judah at that time is nonsense. And by the way, I would remind my Messianic Jewish brethren advocating such a position the entire rabbinical judaism community dismisses that thought they know this is a future prophecy part of the reason they know this is a future prophecy of these days that if you read first ezekiel 37 the passage that leads into this it's the vision of the valley of bones dry bones and today Nobody argues with the interpretation of the dry bones being raised up, sinew being muscle, flesh, and so forth, and a spirit put in them. Nobody disputes that is a prophecy of the modern state of Israel that has now come into existence. So that prophecy precedes this one and sets the stage for Judah to be in the land. And then the prophecy goes that God is going to take Ephraim, the house of Ephraim, the son of Joseph. The split is between Joseph and the brothers. Judah is the spokesman for the brothers, so the split is between Judah and Ephraim. Oh, by the way, going back to our Torah portion about last week, where the question is, well, who in the world put that cup in Benjamin's sack? You know what the the rabbinical people say? It was um, Ephraim, the son of Joseph. He was instructed by his father, put that cup in Benjamin's sack. Ephraim was a part of that dynamic way back in Genesis. And so now he's at the forefront of the dynamic here at the end of the age. Judah and Ephraim, the son of Joseph. And this prophecy goes on to say, describe this incredible reconciliation, this incredible moment when um, the house of Ephraim now joins with the house of Judah. They become one in the hand of the Lord. They have the same king, same government, live in the same land, the restoration. Of back to the days of King David and King Solomon. Guess what it also mentions about King David? Getting the nation back to what it was like when King David was king, when all the tribes are unified together in the same land. And he goes on further to talk about that when they come back under that, they will walk in my ordinances and keep my statutes and observe them, Twenty, verse 24 a return to Torah. whereas they've been scattered in the nations, didn't want to follow the commandments of the Lord, when they return, they return with the Torah. They return with the instructions of the commandments and pledge to keep the commandments of the Lord. Guess what is happening in today? We have the house of judah and the land of israel and there's this incredible movement around the world in the christian world specifically called the messianic movement in which there's this group of people we don't quite know who they really are and they are turning back to the torah the stage is set for this prophecy to be fulfilled that god is going to pull the Bnei Ephraim, the sons of Ephraim, and those of the house of Israel, which, by the way, were ten tribes, they're going to bring them back and join with the brother Judah. That's what we saw in the Torah portion, Judah, representing, brought Joseph back to the brethren. And that's what's going to happen here. God is going to bring Ephraim, Joseph, back to Judah. And that's the reason why this portion is the hoftor portion with the Tor portion. Now, before I leave it, I have to address this one because it's um, poignant for our times. And that's verse 26. And I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it will be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will place them and multiply them, I will set my sanctuary in the midst of forever... And my dwelling place also will be with him. That is a description, brethren, of the messianic kingdom. That's a description of that shortly after this reconciliation takes place between the brothers and the tribes of Israel, the Messiah is going to return and establish His kingdom. And when the Messiah returns, He comes with another covenant. You know, when He was here the first time, He gave us the new covenant. He's going to bring another covenant. This is called the covenant of peace. This is the final covenant of the seven covenants that God has been showing to us in all of the Scripture. This is the covenant that God has with His people in the kingdom. And He speaks specifically of the days of being in the kingdom, about how the Lord will dwell with us in His sanctuary in Jerusalem and he will be there with us. That's the way the prophecies of the messianic kingdom tell us. We don't go to heaven, per se, when this kingdom comes. Messiah comes to us, and he dwells here with us. We don't go dwell beyond a bunch of clouds with cupid angels. He's coming here. All of this that we're reading now, that we've read in this Haftorah portion. This is a very powerful teaching within the Jewish world. This is referring to what is called the final redemption of Israel. The final redemption includes the restoration of all the members of the family coming back together, recognizing one another, honoring one another, not having that conflict anymore amongst brethren and having peace. And in fact, the covenant is called the covenant of peace. If you can't have peace in your family, you can't have peace with anything else. There is no such thing as if you being at peace with the world and all the other people, but there's no peace in your house. You have to have peace in your house first before you can ever attempt to have peace outwards into the world. And so God is going to come, and establish peace within the house of Israel and the house of Judah, making them one before the Lord, and that will spread to the house of the covenant of peace to all the nations of the world and the whole world that will follow. Thus, that's the description of the messianic kingdom. This is a very, very powerful prophetic uh, part of the Scripture. It's picturesque in how it's presented. Um, These two sticks, they're coming together, they become suddenly one uh, together in the hand of the Lord, uh, which is a very powerful picture of unification and so forth. You know, uh, just as a final comment, I have heard a lot of different preachers and Messianic leaders Talking about the subject, we need unification. We need unity amongst the brethren, because there's conflict amongst the brethren. Within the messianic movement, let's be honest about this, the messianic movement is very messy. We have different teachers. The messianic movement doesn't have a single unified leader. There's a multitude of leaders in various places. There's no one single organization that's championing the Messianic movement. There's multiple organizations. Do they cooperate with each other and get along with each other? Heck no. Even within the same city, different Messianic congregations can't cooperate with each other. You want to know why? I can tell you why. Because we're descendants of the sons of Israel. We got the same conflicts amongst us that they did, right down to that some of our own brethren would just as soon take you and sell you into slavery or kill you. We got the same level of conflict. How are we ever going to have unity? How are we ever going to be able to resolve all of these differences that we have? And I'm not talking about the greater Christian world. I am talking about just in the Messianic movement. We have to build one one synagogue? We all have to build one assembly? What do we do about all the other nations? You know, where we're scattered at. I mean, how, how how do we pull that off? Well, I can tell you how to pull it off because the Lord specifically has told us how He's going to do it. We need the Messiah to return and wreck everybody's theology and humble everybody up and then He can unify us. And then we will go to Jerusalem to His sanctuary to worship the Lord. That, Will be the time of peace. That will be the time of unity. So, our Torah portion and Haf Torah portion is about a great promise of reconciliation and brethren being joined together. I pray for the same unity in your congregation and wherever you're at with all of your neighbors and with all of your brethren. Shabbat Shalom.
1: it is